Welcome to the Rational Egoist. I'm your host, Michael Leibowitz. Well, it's all over the news, this indictment of former President Donald J. Trump. There's a lot of opinions on it, and I just want to get to the facts, so I decided to have a guy on who's certainly qualified to discuss it. He's a law professor at George Mason University. He's the B. Kenneth Simon Chair in Constitutional Studies at the Cato Institute. He's a blogger for the Volokh Conspiracy and a former co-editor of the Supreme Court Economic Review. Ilya Soman, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. So what are the facts of this case? The facts are essentially this. Uh, when Trump left office in January 20th of uh, 2021, or uh, he took with him a large amount of classified documents, uh, apparently dozens of boxes uh, of them, and he stored them in various places at his estate of Mar-a-Lago in Florida, uh, including very haphazardly, we've probably seen photos of them uh, in the bathroom or in other unusual places at the estate. Uh, eventually, uh, the National Archives is supposed to get those documents after a president leaves office. They realized that a lot of stuff was missing. Uh, they and the Justice Department asked Trump to return the documents. Uh, but over the course of many months, Trump stonewalled them. He returned a few documents, but he kept most of it. Uh, and uh, finally, uh, in the fall of last year, uh, the Justice Department lost patience. They had the FBI uh, search the premises of Mar-a-Lago. They found a lot of these classified documents and they took them. Uh, then later, a special counsel, Jack Smith, was appointed to investigate uh, whether Trump should be charged in a number of different federal charges, uh, but one set of charges was related to the taking of these classified documents and also to his refusal to return them uh, when asked. Uh, and after several months of investigation and analysis and the like, uh, Jack Smith decided to file uh, 37 counts of charges against Trump, also uh, against Trump's valet, who apparently participated in the scheme to uh, keep the classified documents. Uh, and if you look at the indictment, which is publicly available, it goes through the charges in detail. Uh, and also, it goes through what seems like a very impressive amount of evidence that one, the documents were in fact classified, two, some of them were actually pretty significant. This is not a case where you, know, you have things that were overclassified that probably shouldn't have been secret in the first place. There is a lot of overclassification of federal government, but the documents here include things like uh, possible war plans for scenarios where we have to go to war with Iran, material about U.S. nuclear weapons and so forth. Second, Trump knew they were classified. Uh, and third, Trump uh, deliberately tried to keep them from the federal government even after he was asked to return them. They even have audio recordings of Trump saying that these documents are classified, boasting about them, showing them to third parties who are not allowed to view classified documents and so forth. Uh, so it looks like a pretty strong and extensive case. There's one other relevant fact, and that is that I think you know, whenever you deal with a prosecution of a prominent political figure, especially a former 
president, presidential candidate. Like you can always say there is the risk that, you know, maybe it's his political notoriety, which is driving the prosecution. However, in this case, if Trump were just an ordinary former federal employee who did the same thing, uh, he would have been prosecuted and indicted a long time ago. Uh, the federal government actually showed much more patience with Trump uh, than they would have uh, if he were, say, a rank and file former State Department employee or former member of the military who took huge amounts of classified information, kept it at his, at his house, and then for many months refused to return it and tried to uh, hide it from the federal government. Uh, so, uh, well, you, know, you can make arguments that the New York case against Trump that was brought on other charges uh, a couple months, a few months ago, you can make arguments maybe if an ordinary person had done something similar, there may or may not have been charges here. There would have most definitely be charges uh, if an ordinary person had done the same thing. And indeed, the charges would probably have been brought much more quickly. So what are the laws that he is alleged to have broken? So uh, the main laws are part of the Espionage Act uh, and related legislation, which forbids uh, unauthorized people from possessing classified information uh, and also requires them to return it. In addition, there are laws about obstruction of justice and obstruction investigations, which have to do with his scheme to uh, keep the documents and his refusal to return them even after he was asked. Uh, if I remember correctly, don't you know, take these numbers to heart. I think there are 31 counts related to the first category uh, of things and six more related to the second. And then there's one count, I think, that is purely against his valet uh, who participated in this scheme. So even if, let's say he was acquitted of all 31 charges that 37. were related to the Espionage oh, Act, right? Yes. Even if that happens, the very fact that he's accused of lying to the FBI and withholding evidence, he could still be convicted of just those crimes alone, correct? Yes, it's possible that he could be acquitted on on some charges and convicted on others. That, that, that could happen, yes. Okay, you mentioned the Espionage Act. Now, I've heard that uh, people are making this argument that the Espionage Act actually isn't the controlling law here. The Presidential Records Act is. And therefore, this case should have never been brought. Now, I looked over both laws. I didn't by, by no means study them, but I see nothing in either law that would tell me that this case shouldn't have been brought. But what does that mean, that the, this, the, that argument that's being made, that the Presidential Record Act preempts the Espionage Act? Is there any validity to that argument? I think there really isn't. Uh, and I don't think it's a close call. If you look at the Presidential Records Act, which was enacted in the late 1970s to deal with some abuses that Nixon had tried to engage in after he left office. Uh, if you look at the very first section of that act, it actually says presidential records belong to the United States, meaning the federal government. There's also a vision saying that those records are supposed to uh, go to the National Archives. Now, there is an exception for the president's quote-unquote personal records, uh, but the act describes those personal records as records that are unrelated to the president's carrying out of duties and the like. 
I can imagine cases where it's a close call, whether something is a personal record or not. Clever lawyers can always imagine hypotheticals of that sort. But when you look at the description, the indictment of the types of documents we're talking about, most of them, if not all, by no stretch of the imagination, could they be considered personal records. It just doesn't make sense to say that information about U.S. nuclear weapons, war plans, relations with foreign powers, that that are just something that's personal to Trump or to any uh, president. There is an interesting provision there which says that records that relate purely to a campaign for office as opposed to governance, uh, that that could potentially also be something the president should keep. Uh, and granted, in modern politics, or perhaps any politics, the dividing line between campaigning and government is and governing is fuzzy. However, there's lots of stuff here that you know, pretty obviously is not uh, purely about campaigning. Uh, and I don't think that argument would, would really work either. Finally, I should note some of Trump's defenders have said, under the Presidential Records Act, somehow the president gets to decide you know, or the former president gets to decide what is classified and what is not, or what is personal and what is not, and what he gets to keep and what he doesn't. I think such a claim, A, there's nothing in the text of the statute which says this, B, it would completely destroy the purpose of the statute, because the whole point of that statute was to ensure that all of the records, or at least those that are not quote-unquote personal, uh, that they would end up in the archives, and if the president or former president could just make decisions, you know, could do whatever he wants with it, that would destroy the entire purpose of the act. It would run counter to the text. It is true that while a president is still in office, he can go through a declassification process and say, uh, you know, I've now decided uh, that this uh, document is declassified. However, there's no evidence that Trump actually did declassify these things while he was in office. He certainly does not have the power to do it retroactively after leaving office. And indeed, on tape uh, that they apparently have of him, he actually says these documents are classified. He says this after uh, he left office. So unless he want to argue that somehow he could classify it, just declassify it just in his own mind without telling anybody uh, and without going through any process whatsoever, uh, I think that argument doesn't work. And neither does the argument that he just had complete discretion even without declassifying anything. And he certainly, I think, does not have complete discretion to decide whether something is personal uh, as opposed to related to his duties. Uh, the Presidential Records Act actually describes what it means by personal. And while you know, there is some fuzziness, perhaps in particular cases, I don't think any of that fuzziness applies to the kinds of records that were described in the uh, indictment. I was listening to a podcast where a lawyer was on, I believe his name was Robert Barnes. And he made the argument that under Article 2 of the Constitution, that just the very act of Donald Trump leaving the White House with this stuff serves to declassify them. He argued that Congress cannot pass a law that circumvents that ability that he's granted under Article 2. And that therefore he basically can do whatever he wants with these documents. I've read Article 2 on many occasions and there's nothing in there that would even remotely seem to me to imply that. But again, I'm not a constitutional expert. So is there any validity to that claim? So 
I think I, I have to agree with you on this one that there's certainly nothing in the text of Article 2 which says this. Uh, there's no specific provisions on document classifications there at all. You can try to say that the mere fact that the president has the executive power that somehow any decisions on classification or declassification are within the power of the executive. I think that's just not true. Uh, and in fact, there are specific powers in Article 1 of the Constitution uh, which lists uh, Congress's powers, which I think enable it to make rules and regulations about military and national security secrets and the like. For example, there is the government and regulation clause, which enables Congress to make laws for the government and regulation of the land and naval forces. I would argue that laws about classified materials, at least those that relate to national security, fall within that power. Uh, and uh, it seems to me, therefore, that even though the president, you know, may have some discretion over classified documents and the like, that discretion stops uh, when Congress has enacted specific laws. Even if the president did have discretion, uh, that doesn't mean that merely taking documents home upon leaving office uh, is a valid exercise of the executive power. At the very least, he would have to go through some kind of you know, declassification process, as presidents often do when they actually do try to declassify something. And it certainly doesn't mean that, uh, you know, just taking documents home without more counts as uh, declassification. So, you know, in principle, Trump could potentially have gone through the declassification process before he left office, uh, and then at least he couldn't be charged with withholding classified material. There might still be issues of the under the Presidential Records Act that even non-classified records have to be returned, right? That's the whole point of the first section of the act, unless uh, those records are, are personal ones. Uh, but uh, as it stands, it looks like Trump did not declassify any of this stuff while he was in office. He certainly did not retain the powers of the office after he left it. Uh, and uh, therefore, it seems pretty clear, unless some kind of dramatic new evidence is introduced at trial, you know, maybe Trump's lawyers have some great, wonderful, amazing evidence uh, you know, that, you know, none of us know about yet, uh, barring something revelation like that, it certainly seems like he violated the law, he did it deliberately, uh, and whatever executive powers he could have exercised to change things, uh, he did not actually do it before he left office, and he obviously doesn't have those powers uh, after he left it. There's also a claim that Trump had a standing order to declassify information. First of all, is there any evidence that that's true, that he had such a standing order? And second, could he do that even if he wanted to? I'm not aware of any such standing order. Uh, and it would be somewhat strange to say that any documents, including the most secret possible documents uh, that Trump takes with him, they become declassified. As a result of that, there would be obvious, serious problems uh, that emerge. Whether he could enact such a standing order, I think it might depend on exactly what it said and how it was done and the like. I admit I'm not familiar with all the details of exactly how, you know, executive orders, uh, you know, get uh, developed and uh, promulgated and made official. But as far as I know, uh, there was no uh, such order, uh, certainly none uh, that went through the normal declassification process. And moreover, you know, former Trump administration officials, to my knowledge, have said that it is simply not the case that he had a, a standing policy that any documents that he took with him, uh, you know, somehow become declassified as a result.
there's been a number of, uh, I don't know, maybe in an infinite number of, that's probably hyperbole. There's been a lot of comparisons between Trump's handling of classified information and Biden's handling of classified information, Hillary Clinton's handling of classified information, and even Bill Clinton with these tapes that were in his sock drawer. How does the Trump case differ from those others, if it does at all? And does it even matter? Yeah. As a purely legal matter, it doesn't matter in that even if those other instances or some of them were as bad or worse than what Trump did, the fact that you failed to prosecute some violators, the law does not legally mean you can't prosecute others. In right. fact, that happens all the time. Even some murderers are never prosecuted, <laughs> some rapists, uh, and so on. Obviously, as a political or a moral matter, it does matter if there are double standards. In my view, those other cases, at least what is currently known of them, are less egregious than Trump's. And some of them, those with Biden and Pence, may not even involve violations of the law uh, at all. Just briefly talking about the Biden and Pence cases first, because those are the uh, the, the simplest ones. Uh, as I understand it, uh, the uh, uh, as, as, as I understand it, uh, in in those cases, first, there's no proof that Biden and Pence deliberately took classified documents with them upon leaving office. Uh, it looks like an inadvertent mistake, though perhaps additional evidence will reveal that it was not. Second, as soon as Biden and Pence found out that those documents were actually in their position, possession, sorry, not position, they immediately returned them. That's very different from Trump's constant stonewalling. And in fact, uh, had Trump simply returned the documents when asked, it is very likely that he would not have been prosecuted. Uh, he made this bed himself. Uh, you know What would probably have happened in that instance is that a special counsel would never have been appointed to investigate this set of issues uh, in the case of uh, Trump. Uh, in the case of Biden, uh, there actually is another special counsel investigating his handling of the documents. That person is Robert Hur, who is a former U.S. attorney appointed to that position by Donald Trump. Uh, so Hur's investigation is going on. He has every incentive to uncover any possible cr uh, crimes or wrongdoing by Biden. And if it turns out that at Biden somehow actually did do things comparable to those that Trump did, then I would say it would be ju entirely justifiable and necessary to indict Biden as well. Though there is this wrinkle that the Justice Department has a policy against indicting sitting presidents. Maybe that policy is wrong. Uh, I have some concerns about it myself, but Trump supporters were very happy to cite that policy when Trump himself was in office and the, and the Mueller That's investigation right. was going on. So uh, if they thought that that policy justifiably protected Trump, it's hard for them to now say, well, it shouldn't protect Biden. That said, it may be that her investigation will reveal facts that make Biden look worse uh, than current evidence, currently available evidence suggests he does. Uh, finally, there is the Hillary Clinton case where she used uh, a personal server while she was Secretary of State, a personal email server, uh, to deal with emails, including some that apparently contain classified information. That was against regulations and illegal. Uh, I think it is certainly the case that her conduct was egregious and deserves condemnation. Uh, but there are two relevant distinctions compared to uh, Trump. One is, at least at the time she had those emails, 
uh, and you know, and put them there. She was actually still in office as Secretary of State and legitimately had access to classified information. Second, uh, when it was found out and the government demanded the email, she in fact did turn over quickly all those that had classified information on them. She did destroy some purely personal emails, uh, but there's no evidence that those that were destroyed had any uh, classified classification issues. Uh, uh, and also, it seems like the amount of classified information was smaller than in the case of Trump. That said, you can certainly make the argument that she should have been prosecuted. Uh, it seems like there would have been a stronger potential case against her uh, than there, at least on currently known evidence, than there would be with Biden or Pence. Uh, but if so, uh, the administration most responsible for not prosecuting her or even for not doing additional investigation is that of one Donald J. Trump for four <laughs> years. They had the opportunity to further investigate her, to prosecute her. Uh, Trump even said he might do that in the 2016 campaign. Uh, but he and his attorney, successive attorney generals uh, never did any of that. So if you believe, not, not you personally necessarily, but anyone who believes that it was important to prosecute Hillary Clinton, uh, which I think is, is a legitimate point of view, maybe she shouldn't have been allowed to skate, uh, then uh, the people to, most responsible for the failure to do that are, in fact, the people who were in charge during the Trump administration who had four years to uh, potentially do this. OK, what about are you familiar with the Bill Clinton thing? I never even I mean, I've probably heard of it years ago, but it didn't come into my mind. But I did look it up yesterday, this idea that Bill Clinton had classified tapes in his sock drawer and it was ruled this was the claim that it was ruled that he can just declassify him just by putting him there and it's argued that that's the case that has precedent now i read through the facts of that case and it seems to me a ridiculous comparison but uh, again i'm not the expert are you familiar with it and how does it differ from this case if you are familiar if you're not well, i'm not that too. familiar with that particular case but as i understand it uh if I remember correctly, the issue was, was was almost the opposite of the issue here in that uh, the Judicial Watch, which is an organization that is now um, uh, advising, uh, uh, which is the organization that is now advi actually advising Trump, that they filed a lawsuit seeking revelation uh, of public revelation of these tapes uh, that uh, Bill Clinton had made while he was being interviewed for a book by, I think by Taylor Branch, if I remember correctly, who's a biographer and writer and a historian. Uh, and, uh, and it was ruled that those records were records that Clinton could keep after, keep, uh, after uh, being in office. So I don't know all the details of that, but from that description, which is drawn from press accounts and the like, I haven't carefully studied this particular precedent. It seems to me uh, that, Arguably, when you're doing an interview with a writer, uh, that that could be ar a, arguably a, a personal record under the Presidential Records Act. This material was not classified, or at least it didn't contain any kind of national security secrets, to my knowledge. Uh, so it seems like a very different situation uh, than the situation uh, facing, uh, you know, facing Trump, where we're talking about nuclear weapons secrets and war plans and you know and other things of this sort but i admit i haven't studied that case carefully uh, and it's possible that I, there's an angle i'm missing there it seemed to me that the two big differences were one that the tapes seemed to be personal property of, of clinton and not government property and two it wasn't a criminal case it was a lawsuit brought by a private entity yeah seeking disclosure 
Uh, and it does, again, I think those are relevant distinctions. And it does seem to me uh, that there is a difference between what is essentially an interview with a, with a writer uh, and an official government record. Uh, and at least to my knowledge, the material in that in, in the tapes of those interviews didn't, there wasn't any class of information. There wasn't any military secrets or, you know, anything of the sort. Uh, but again, I haven't read the details of that case, so I could be missing something. I admit that. So Trump supporters will point to the arguments they'll make are, look, this guy was spied on before he was president. His campaign was spied on. Then there was, they call the Russian hoax. And then you had the two illegitimate impeachments. You've now got the, the they think, in an illegitimate January 6th investigation. And they, and then the, of course, the, uh, the Bragg case in New York, and they view this as just a continuation of the persecution of Donald J. Trump. Now, I don't want to get into the facts sure. of the, all that other stuff because there's arguments to be made that the, against the claim that that was all persecution. But the question I have for you is, are you at all concerned about the timing of this case being brought, that Donald Trump is now a candidate, he's the front runner from the Republican nomination, and they could have waited to bring the charges. There's, from what I understand, a five-year statute of limitations. Why not just wait until after the campaign is over? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, my thoughts is that probably the charges should have been brought earlier. Uh, because I wow. said before, if an ordinary person had done the same sorts of things, the government would have shown much less patience with him. Far from persecuting Donald Trump, they actually treated him better uh, than an ordinary non-famous person, non uh, former president would have been treated uh, and giving him further favoritism beyond what it was already given would actually make things worse to my mind. Uh, moreover, if in fact he does get prosecuted and convicted, that is something that the electorate should know before uh, electing him to high office again. Uh, so it seems to me that if a mistake was made, uh, it was in, in treating him too favorably uh, rather than in not treating him favorably enough. Though I, of course, I do understand that the political sensitivity of the case, you can argue that you're justified having a more thorough investigation or even perhaps giving him more chances than an ordinary person would have been afforded. Uh, though I do actually object to the latter, if not to the uh, former aspect of it. Suppose Trump is convicted and Trump is elected president. Can Trump pardon himself? Can a president actually pardon him or herself while, while in office? Is that a power that they have? This issue has been much debated by legal scholars, uh, and I think there's not a consensus on it. It's also, of course, something that no president has previously tried to do. Uh, so there's no legal precedent on it. I myself think there's sort of good arguments both ways on this, and I'm not sure, you know, what the right answer is. I hope the issue will not come up because I hope you know, Trump will not, in fact, be president again. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, uh, there is a plausible argument that he could do that. Uh, I think there is a plausible argument also that he could not. And, you know, which way you you go on it. Uh, you know, it's it's debatable. It's also debatable whether there could be judicial review of this sort of decision or not, or whether it's a political question that, uh, you know, the courts are not supposed to touch. So uh, it's one of those uh, sort of 
incredible hypotheticals that before the Trump era, only law professors were interested in because the assumption is it was unlikely to ever come up. But, uh, you know, a lot of things have happened uh, in the Trump era that uh, before, you know, we felt like were just scary hypotheticals, such as, for example, a president losing an election and then trying to use force and fraud uh, to stay in power regardless of that. Uh, before 2020, that was just a, you know, a hypothetical or something that only happened uh, in immature democracies, but obviously it did happen uh, with us and led to violence. And I would note that there is a good chance uh, that within the next few months, Trump is going to be indicted on criminal charges related to that as well. A lot of people are complaining, you know, we touched on this earlier, about the unequal application of the law. And they're using it as a comparison amongst politicians. To me, a far bigger problem is the unequal application of law between how government officials are treated and how everybody else is treated, right? That is a much bigger problem to me. And a good friend of mine pointed out to me that, you know, this kid out there, he said, to, my friend told me, you know, if Republicans are really concerned about equal justice, then why aren't they upset about the fact that this kid who shared classified information with his gaming buddies is being held without bond, but yet Trump was given a promise to appear and nobody seems to blink an eye about that. Is that a part of this? Should people be more concerned about that? Like you said earlier, if this was an average citizen, he'd have been charged much sooner and, and probably with much worse, I think you said. Is that a concern that we should have? Is that the real thing, the real lesson that the political class is treated much differently than everybody else? So I think that is true to a considerable extent that it's not just politicians, but even lower level government officials often are allowed to get away with things that ordinary citizens could not. Sometimes that's an inevitable aspect of the powers that government officials have to have, but sometimes just a result of a wide range of legal doctrines and double standards, and also of relevant officials, prosecutors, judges, and so forth, exercising discretion to be more protective of government officials than they would be of ordinary people. It is true that another aspect of the favoritism that Trump has gotten here, that it's very likely that if he had been a, an ordinary citizen or here even a low-level former government official, he would not have just been uh, released on his own recognizance without even the requirement of bail or anything like that. Uh, and he would. Uh, there's a good chance that if you know, he were an ordinary person or a low-level official charged with a similar offense, he at the very least would have been forbidden to travel outside of the state of Florida while waiting trial, or he'd have had to post bail, which of course Trump would surely have been wealthy enough to do, but it's notable he wasn't even required to do that much. And in some cases, maybe even subjected to pretrial detention. That said, I don't complain about this too much because I think for ordinary people, we too easily engage in pretrial detention or require bail that is beyond the person's ability to put up and the like. Uh, and while I do think Trump is guilty of this and other crimes and ultimately belongs in prison, I also think uh, having very permissive rules for pretrial detention and high amounts of bail and the like, that is very problematic in a free society, uh, doing that with people who have not actually been convicted or even tried of anything yet. Uh, and I think the solution there uh, is not to say, well, you'll put Trump in pretrial detention, but rather uh, to make pretrial detention a rare and more exceptional thing, even with, you know, with ordinary people. So I do think it's it's very troubling to say that, you know, people can be in, in detention for months on end uh, without being convicted of anything or even 
you know, their trial yet beginning and so forth. Uh, but but the, but the, this is indeed another way in which Trump uh, has been treated more favorably than the ordinary citizen. You could argue, well, the issue is Trump is such a visible and notorious person that there's no chance that he would jump bail or or rather, you know, you know, run away or whatnot. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of ordinary citizens where the risk is also fairly low, and yet they still at least have to uh, post bail and sometimes end up in uh, pretrial detention uh, anyway. You know, I suppose we all have blind spots, but you just exposed one of mine to me because I think you're absolutely right. The way to look at this isn't that Trump shouldn't have been let let off without bail. The way to look at it is why are all these other people being held with bail in such high bails. I didn't even consider that. That's an excellent point. And I, I thank you for, for mentioning it. My friend, the same friend, he's incarcerated. So I, you know, he asked me these questions. And now that I have you here, I want to ask you, he asked me that he first, he stated that presidents, former presidents are entitled to secret service, secret service protection. If Trump were convicted, how could he be sentenced to prison given that the Secret Service can't go into prison with him, right? So how would they handle that? The short answer is I don't really know. There is little, if any, precedent that I know of, at least for this kind of situation. There is, I think, precedent for famous or notorious prisoners being uh, incarcerated and being dealt with you know, in ways that isolate them from the general prison population. So I would imagine that if if on this or any other charge, Trump ultimately does end up in federal prison or for that matter in state prison if he's convicted in New York or in the possible Georgia case against him that's looming, I think various special arrangements would be made. Uh, he would likely be isolated from the rest of the prison population lest he be exposed to violence or uh, other kinds of problems. It may be that the Secret Service and the prison authorities would make some sort of arrangement such that Secret Service guards would also be present on site at the prison facility. Uh, exactly how that would work, I have no idea. Uh, I'm not even sure that the Secret Service and other officials themselves yet know how they would handle the situation if it were to come up. As with a lot of things that have happened in the Trump era, this, if it were to happen, it would be unprecedented, but I'm not sure it would be an insuperable problem. And there is a long history, both in the U.S. Uh, and in other countries of sort of particularly prominent, notorious prisoners being held under some kind of special conditions. Uh, you can even point to such precedents as, you know, Napoleon being on the island of St. Helena under you know, special protective uh, guard, but also in such a way that he couldn't return to Europe. I'm not saying that's the kind of thing that would be done with Trump, but I would imagine that he would not simply be thrown into the general population uh, of prisoners uh, and that some sort of arrangements would be made to ensure that the Secret Service could still do its job and protect him and exactly how those arrangements would work. I honestly do not know. I'm not sure if at this point anyone knows how it would work. Okay, you're not willing to send him to St. Helena how about Elba? Could we send him to Elba? So, so I was sort of joking about St. Helena and Elba. I think obviously neither of those places are in U.S. territory. Uh, but I do imagine that if Trump were to be in federal prison or state prison, for that matter, uh, that there would have to be some kind of special arrangements made. And he would likely, as a practical matter, be isolated from other prisoners. Uh, but also there would have to be special arrangements made to prevent his followers potentially from trying to break him out and the like. Uh, and obviously that 
is how Napoleon ended up at St. Helena rather than Elba because Elba was very close to France. His friends were able to help him escape. He got back to France. He started leading his army again, and we ended up with the Battle of Waterloo. So <laughs> after that, the British and the other allies, they say, you know what? We got to send this guy far enough away that he can't possibly come back. Uh, and it should be in a place that uh, Britain had complete control over, uh, which they did with the island of St. Helena. So I would imagine some sort of special uh, facility or arrangements would be set aside for Trump in that situation. But I honestly don't know exactly how it would work. He would present a special and unusual case. And in that respect, it would be a little bit similar to Napoleon, because obviously, you know, everybody in 1815 realized that Napoleon wasn't just the ordinary prisoner of war or the like that they had to find some kind of arrangements that might be peculiar to him. Uh, and that would also be true of Trump, though obviously it probably wouldn't work in anything like exactly the same way. Well, I got to say, as far as Donald Trump pulling a Napoleon on Elba, one thing I'm confident of, and that is that Napoleon Bonaparte, Donald J. Trump, is not. <laughs> so I agree. Napoleon was a strategic and tactical genius. Trump, while he certainly does have some skills and he's not as stupid, I think, as some people think that he is, uh, he is not a brilliant planner or a criminal mastermind or any of the sort. And in fact, uh, his egotistical nature and his bumbling to some extent is what got him into his current legal troubles mm -hmm. and some other previous legal troubles as well in that, you know, it looks like from media accounts, at least various lawyers and advisors told him you can make this problem go away simply by returning these documents. And he was like, no, I don't want to do that. I want a stonewall. I want to keep them. Uh, and he ended up in this situation. And in fairness, it doesn't seem like he ended up because he had some great plan to like sell the documents or giving them enemies in the United States or he had some other you know, devious scheme that he was cooking up with him. He was simply being stubborn. He wanted to keep the documents. He liked having them. Uh, and therefore, he didn't want to uh, turned him over, which would have almost certainly got him out of the hole that he was in. Okay, I got one more question for you. Probably should have been my first question. What are your political leanings? In other words, are, are you some left-wing anti-Trumper who just wants to get Biden back in the White House? How do you go politically? So I'm a libertarian. I think uh, both now and back in the 2020 election that you know, Biden was a lesser evil than Trump, but I think that's also damning Biden with faint praise. For what it's worth, I have many differences with Biden and his administration, including over uh, the student loan case that's currently before the Supreme Court uh, and over quite a number of other things as well. Uh, so uh, I think Trump is very bad. And you know, I certainly, in a sense, you could say that I am an anti-Trumper, uh, but uh, it's not because of things specific to him so much as because of my general opposition uh, to uh, many of the sorts of policies and injustices that he perpetrated, plus his efforts to uh, overthrow our liberal democratic order by trying to stay in power uh, after he uh, pretty clearly lost an election. Uh, there, are, uh, there are problems, you know, obviously specific to his personality, but more of my issues with him are about the things that he's done, um, the policies that he's promoted and the laws that he has violated, uh, rather than because of, you know, his personality. I'm not a huge fan of Biden's personality either, for what it's worth. <laughs> Fair enough. Me neither. Okay, Professor Solman, thank you so much for being here. Is there someplace people can find you? Where should they go? 
Sure. Uh, so I blog regularly at the Vola Conspiracy blog, which is hosted by Reason Magazine. People can also look up my website where uh, just Google my name, where you can find many of my writings of various legal and public policy topics. And many of them are even available for free. Awesome. Thank you so much again for being here. For now, this is The Rational Legalist. I'm Michael Leibowitz signing out. Remember, like, share, comment, subscribe. Till next time.